0: Oh! Oh, gracious,
1: hello everyone welcome to around the course squash podcast with me here as ever Stuart Crawford and Chris Sackley how you doing fellas good thanks doing well
2: back in the ocean state the home of Arthur Gaskin woke hey. up with a little little ocean bath this morning feeling fresh
1: beautiful how about you? Shou? How's the uh, How's the Italian retreat?
0: <laughs> uh, the Italian life is definitely something I could get used to. Uh, the old siesta in the afternoon, a little bit of a run in the morning. Or all evening. right, all right,
1: all right, all right, all right. Easy. <laughs> uh, good food. Living the dream.
0: Have you caught any of your
2: own fish or anything like that to
0: cook? No, we're actually we're not near the ocean. Actually, that's the one downside is there's no beach or sea nearby we're, we're in the middle of Tuscany but we're probably only an hour's drive from the, the sea if we wanted to go but haven't done it yet. So you've got time. That's <laughs> uh, the one thing I certainly have at the moment is time, uh, plenty of time. have got a mountain bike so I've been out in that a little bit, been in the pool, bought myself a, a three euro pair of swimming goggles so that I could do some lengths so all good. <laughs> What a Scotsman. <laughs> Don't go all out in those goggles. I mean, they did have a five euro <laughs> pair, but I'm like, no way am I paying that much.
1: <laughs> get yourself a Mars bar and a Lucas Aid with the five euros on top of the goggles.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, the number of decent uh, Italian gelatos I can get with that extra two euros. <laughs> <laughs> I can swim with fog. <laughs> exactly, Chris. You're I'm surprised understand. even
1: bought goggles. huh?
0: Well, I wear contact lenses, so that's a bit of a challenge when you swim uh, without them.
1: Oh, it, So you had to. Yeah.
0: Well, Bummer. Uh, three euros well spent so far. I've been in the pool quite a bit, so I've made the most of them.
1: Yep. And speaking of Italy, seeing as how we're on the subject, Geraint Thomas not going to the Tour de France. I was very gutted to hear that, but he's going to the Giro d'Italia. Slightly off topic, but I just thought I'd bring it up.
0: Yeah, I actually looked up the route to see if it goes anywhere near where we are and thought maybe I could extend our stay, but it goes up the other coast, so I don't think I'm going to see any of it.
1: Well, again, you have time if you decide just to nip across.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I mean, I could probably go to France and watch the Tour de France, but...
1: Uh, some really interesting interviews have uh, been released by the PSA World Tour in the last couple of weeks, getting gearing up for the new season. Quite an interesting one with Shabagi. Do you see that, fellas? I did, Yeah. Is that it? Yeah,
3: the.
2: (laughs) I I read it yesterday as well, and um, and it it kind of excited me, excited me a little. Like we talked about with Stuart Davenport last week, how everyone's a little too complimentary of each other at times, and you know, oh, so and so played well, um, uh, really well to beat me, and I got to just come back better next time, and I. sometimes when Trevagi interviews live, he comes off as pretty, uh, you know, almighty, like he he has no chance of ever losing, but it is, fun. It, it was kind of fun to read that, where he was just like, yeah, I'm the best, um, you know, he, he talked really nicely about Paul Cole, but he's like, he's not there yet, basically, and he just It's kind of funny reading it in print because that lives forever. And Paul's going to have that up on his bridge, I'm sure, like (laughs) chomping at the bit every day.
0: That was one of my thoughts was that he's the sort of character that's really going to use that as fuel to – I'm not actually sure he can train much harder, but you can see that he's going to be more focused, more driven, and really going after those guys to prove them wrong. And I saw that Nick Matthew also talked about how – when he got to number one in the world for the first time, he did it in Egypt and how it felt more satisfying to go and do it in their backyard with guys like Rami and Darwish and Shabana at the time. So yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm certainly excited for the tour coming back. Um, And it seems like everyone's now got this, this point in their mind where they've obviously been training over lockdown trying to keep in reasonable shape but now they have a fixed date where they can really start to prepare and set themselves to come back strong.
1: Yeah it's just great just to see just with that interview with Shabaggy that there's adding a little bit of spice into a a bit of rivalry between himself and Paul or even just Paul Cole's challenge to beat the Egyptians like you say like Nick Matthew did a couple of many moons ago.
2: And it's it sounds like Part of the reason why there's four big events in Egypt this year is just the the money's there, the funding's there, the sponsorship.
0: Yeah. And I would also suspect it's one of the places that there's less travel restrictions in. Um, so hopefully everyone that's in the top 20 or 30 can get there without any problems. So it would be a bit of a shame if, if it was missing four or five top players because they were from countries that weren't allowed to travel to a particular locations. So, um, that could also be a positive for the tour. Yeah,
1: exciting times, good couple of months ahead. Fingers crossed, it all goes together.
0: Yeah, I certainly hope so.
1: So we have an interview with uh, an interview with Ashling Blake coming up later in the show. One of the things we talked about was that Ashling had, you know, lost I think ten or eleven national finals in a row, and nine out of ten or ten out of eleven of those were against Madeleine Perry, and she finally overcame her one and five in 2012. And I kind of just relating it to Paul Cole. He obviously had been knocking on the door, but it took him a while to get the first win against Shabagi, which he did in Windy City. His first win against uh, Ali Farag. But it was just interesting just that he's been looking. He's been knocking on the door. He's clocked his first wins against Gouad, his is uh, Shabagi, and what have you. So it'd be interesting to see how he kicks on from here. If you can have, you know, get that consistency to beat those guys on a regular
0: basis. Yeah, I think that's something that they all struggle with a little bit. I mean, Shabagi mentioned that that over of the, the last couple of seasons, there's very little between the top players on their day. But I think where Shabagi and Ali Farag have really stood out is their consistency and the number of big finals. They, neither of them really, uh, really lose early in events. Um, I mean I, I can't remember the last time that Farag didn't make like a semi final, and Shibagi is also pretty consistent um is probably a little bit more prone to the to the occasional early loss, but again, we're talking like maybe once a season, whereas if you look at someone like Gawad who can go and win some of these big events, he's also losing in one or two second rounds or third rounds and not even making the quarters
1: yeah. Canary Wharf is a great example. Uh, he lost in the second round and kind of didn't really look all there.
0: They talk a little bit
2: about Diego Elias in uh, the in the interview with Mohamed as well and just that he's kind of on his day has gotten to a level where he can beat anyone but having the consistency to go out and then follow that up in like a semifinal after a big quarterfinal win and, and that's interesting too because like like we're saying, if you want to get into kind of like the top three or four, you don't just have to beat one of them. You literally have to beat like two or three of them to get to the, the final of any major.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the areas that Tarek Moorman has really improved over the last three, four years is that if you look at his early career, he was very dangerous and would have some occasional big wins, but he didn't have that consistency. And again, he's he's moved up to worthy of world number three because of that consistency now and he's really well he's current world champion obviously, but he's also challenging Shibagi and Farag on a consistent basis
1: yeah what do we think about uh, on the on the women 's side? who do we think is going to be looking good there? Do we expect like Noran Goar as the new world number one to you know grab a stranglehold on that position or
0: I think that's going to be in some ways more interesting because there's a lot of them with a lot at stake. I mentioned in a previous podcast that I, I think Camille Serum is going to have a great season because I think she's at a stage of her career where she maybe isn't going to be in her prime for too much longer. Yeah. And with Runeem's retirement, she maybe sees an opportunity. So potentially the next season or two is her big chance to get to number one in the world, having been two in the world, certainly been in the top four or five for most of the last five years. So yeah, I think... She's going to be a a real threat. I still think that on her day, Shabini is the best female player in the world. I would have probably said that even when Raneem was playing. Um, She's certainly got the most experience despite still being relatively young. She's won the most major events. She's been in finals. She's been there at the top for probably longer than most of the other girls. So I think she's going to be a real threat if she's injury-free. Obviously, she had some problems before the tour was suspended. Um, and I think Gohar has got a lot to prove. And I, I mean, she was so driven and just relentless in the last sort of year before we stopped. So I think she's she's going to want to prove that she deserves to be number one in the world. And she's not just got there because Raneem's retired. So I think it could be really interesting.
1: She did. <laughs> just kidding. But hmm. it, it kind of almost feels like maybe it's just me, but almost a new era to a degree I, with because is such a big presence on that ranking list. And without her there, it's... I mean, obviously, and I know you, you're not far wrong on what you said about Chervini, it's hard to argue with that. But even so, it still feels like there's a huge opportunity up for grabs, and with that then is a new era where you've got this funnel of world-class, unbelievably good players, just really feel that they probably have a chance of getting that number one ranking.
2: Yeah, and you've got people like Amanda Sobey, who probably, you know, was kind of working back to full strength, but I'm sure just like a little bit of time off to get the body even stronger after that Achilles. And then Sherbini with the knee, you'd think you'd hope people like that maybe would have benefited from a little time off and some training and getting the body right. And then you've got someone like, you know, Hani Al-Hamami who's like chasing, chasing real quick. Um, it will be an exciting little, uh, you know, top the to top kind of eight people right now, I think are all going to be gunning for that spot.
1: Yeah. You yeah. also have Joel King and Sarah Jane Perry in the mix there. Probably a couple and Tyab. of others. Tayeb, yeah. Jeez, Tayeb's the mix. Yeah.
0: So, no, I, I think it's going to be really exciting, the women's tour. I think, I mean, it's been getting stronger f- for a long time, but um, there's a really good mix of different styles of players, different strengths. And yeah, I think they're all going to be really driven to try and take advantage of this opportunity that Runeem's presenting them with.
1: And with so many big events back-to-back, that world, that number one status could chop and change over the next few months quite comfortably once the tour resumes.
0: Yeah, I actually, I remember way, way back, I think it was around 2007, there was four major events back-to-back. Um, I think it was like Hong Kong, Kuwait, Saudi, and somewhere else. And I think Shabana won three of them and he basically was out playing out his skin for about a month but those points basically set him up for an entire calendar year of being world number one because he'd, got, he'd accumulated so many points in those four events I think he won three and maybe made a semi in the other one but he basically just needed to make quarters for the rest of the year to stay at number one in the world because of all the points he'd accumulated
1: I was looking for a purple patch like that for a long time what about you still?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah Mine came for about thirty minutes, not for a month.
1: Yeah, thirty thirty five minutes tops. <laughs> nice. What a guy! And just
0: just to just to go
2: back on that Ashling Blake uh, story about the you know losing ten in a row and then and then or eleven and then coming back and getting her first. I had like a similar situation growing up in in uh, Ontario in Ontario and in Canada, so. My biggest rival, um, Colin West. He, you know, he might have hinted he listened to a podcast before, so we'll, we'll test him to see if he's listening. I'll give him, I'll, I'll boost his ego a little here, but
1: oh no, you can we talk smack about the... him, and then he'll get, he'll get onto you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah. We'll we're, 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 make sure he finds out. Chris. On... go ahead.
1: Yeah, you want to hear what he's saying offline, Colin West? <laughs>
2: <laughs> we were born on the exact same day. So, um, you know, by the time we were eight or nine playing for the kind of provincial titles in, in Ontario, um, and we, we had actually become pretty quick buddies, but I like never, I like never won a provincial final against them. And I lost three or four national titles, maybe three national finals against them. Um, Dave Letourneau is another good friend of ours who him out, and I kind of battled. Shout out, Davey. We'd battle a bit back and forth in the semifinals every other year, and he got a couple and I got a couple. Um, but, yeah, Colin, Colin was the one keeping me away from my national title, which if we're being honest on here, guys, can I be honest?
1: No. <laughs> yeah, always, man. <laughs> a silly question.
2: Part of, the, part of the reason I played in the over 30s last year and not with the big boys in Canada was to just kind of sneak a cheeky sneak a title. <laughs> no, listen, that was my that was my first national title, and it was it, it was it didn't feel right. it felt a little dirty
1: oh, listen
2: <laughs> you hung
1: in there thirty years in the waiting, I think kudos man
2: yeah, 30 years. I did wait thirty years to get it
0: yeah i was I was fascinated by the really old guys, the guys that won like over seventy nationals that what that feeling must be like to know that you're the best by virtue of being the only one left standing almost.
1: <laughs> yeah. it was the, the World Masters not in not two years ago in Virginia but the one before that and the final of the over 80s was something like 15-13 in the 5th how about that for a, for a and actually no it was a was US National excuse me I got it wrong because the guy who lost it is a member here Phil Leese, shout out Phil he lost 15-13 in the 5th he went two love up and he lost 15-13 <laughs> at, at his age and you want to see him what a love serve great
0: mover as well. He's 86. Yeah. Wow. In fitness. If he too live up, he needs to get on his coach to help him improve his fitness. Yeah. <laughs>
2: no, you're not, not working him hard enough there? No, because yeah. I remember
1: actually gearing up for the world masters in Virginia, which was later that year. And he was mad keen. He sort of felt he, he was in with a shout. Of course he, of course he was. And, uh, yeah, he was he was into he was in his fitness buzz, <laughs> cycling to the club, coming up, practicing the lob serve. Hero, absolute hero.
0: That's yeah, my current squash-related strategy. Just don't play any squash, but just try and keep relatively fit so that when I reach the over 80s, I'm still in good enough shape to take those guys down.
2: That's actually a good plan to just take those like 15 or take 15 or 20 years off save the body and then just go for like a 20 year national title run or a world title run it's a 50 year Um, plan (laughs) yeah i mean i i sprained my ankle like i sprain my ankle like once a year at this rate and i think by the time i'm 50 i'm not gonna have any ankles left but hopefully by then they'll give me some like bionic ones that work even better then you're then you're in trouble boys once I get my bionic ankle, everyone's in trouble.
0: I'm not worried about you, Chris. You're going to burn out way before you reach 80. <laughs> I
2: don't, I'm still keen. I'm still playing, man. Like, you don't even own a racket.
0: Well, that's what I mean. That's your biggest mistake <laughs> is the playing. You've got to save yourself.
2: I'm still keen. Still keen. We're podcasting about it. We're playing it. We're living it.
0: Yeah. I've got the ultimate anti-burnout strategy. Don't pick up a racket for 40 years.
1: <laughs> Foolproof. Let me now tell you, you guys
0: are gonna come
2: back. You guys gonna come back swinging like a men's D player.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just need I just need one year of solo practice to remind me how to hit the ball first. Yeah,
1: you mean you could hit the ball in the first place?
0: <laughs> it's hard to remember, but apparently so. But yeah, certainly when I go on court and feed when I'm coaching, it doesn't feel like it.
1: Hold forehand, straight drive. Yeah, there you go. Love it. <clears throat> Many a pirouettes I've seen on the back of that. Uh, okay. Should
0: we move on to someone talking a bit more sense then, and listen to what Ashling had to say? I,
1: I wouldn't say she talked a lot of sense, you know, but probably
0: right. a lot more Aisling, sense. if than you're us. listening to this,
3: I was waffling.
0: I've got your back. I <laughs> <talk a
3: lot. laughs>
0: Okay,
1: and again, we welcome back Ashley Blake. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, no worries. Uh, just to touch on a couple of highlights from her playing career. You know, 2012 national champion which I think that itself is pretty an, an amazing story, having lost uh, a few finals to Madeleine and comes agonisingly close and to turn that one around was, I remember that. Um, European finalists on a number of occasions with Ireland and certainly a pol- on the podium a number of times with Ireland. Four PSA titles and a career highest of 21 in the world. Thanks for coming back on the show.
3: <laughs> Great to be here.
1: <laughs> Again.
3: <laughs> Once more.
1: Once more, you're so lucky. So, playing career, Here's some of your highlights. Have I missed anything?
3: No, you haven't. Um, it, it, it wrapped up quite nicely into about one sentence, but you haven't. The highlight within that was probably the nationals you were kind you said i lost a few finals i actually lost um 13 so that's that's nice so on my 14th attempt at winning the nationals i uh won which uh, i don't think it took you 14 times
1: that's i tell you what it how many times did madeline beat you
3: um uh she beat me at least 12
1: nobody at beats ashley blake 13 times in a row
3: no that and that's how I was introduced I will always remember with fondness a a guy from Fitzwilliam who incidentally was my home club so I played the Nationals in my home club uh 14 times around and lost a lot and the guys you know obviously gave me a bit of stick for this and to intro me you know you're think of a player you're in the zone you're getting you've got your game plan yep you're outside the door you're sometimes you listen to what they say. Sometimes you don't that the, the MC and the guy is go, and I'm also um, the the Fitzwilliam member. So people are like, yes, let's, you know, get behind her. Yeah. And Damien O'Reilly um, introduces. So, you know, et cetera. She's done this, she's done that. And this is her 14th consecutive time in the final. She's never won it. She's lost 13, 12 times to Madeline. Please welcome Ashley Blake. And I was thinking, I think I'll just turn around and go home. Like what's the point in showing up? So that was my intro. Maybe, uh, maybe that spurred me on that day. Who no. knows?
1: <laughs> Cheers, demo. Cheers. Cheers.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I actually,
1: I, you know what? I remember that match really well. I do remember when you won, and I was on the I was playing the men's final straight after you guys, and it was a pretty long match. It was a lot longer than any of us, than anyone anticipated. Not because you you had a couple of five setters, but this was this was quite a long one. And I remember I was right at the glass door. So for those of you that don't know, so Fitzwilliam, the main court is Court One. It has a nice auditorium behind it, and there's a door on ground level by the glass that goes into the hallway. And they always have that door locked, and it only opens in between games. They have a little uh, padlock or a slide thing whatever it is, it's not relevant. And I remember watching it, and I remember what you won, and I was like, far out. Like, but I remember just think, being super happy for you and just, yeah, I just thought it was quite, quite amazing to have the resilience. Demo can kind of take the mick out of it, play around with it as much as he likes, but I do, the resilience and the character and the strength of character, because I'm sure every time that you had to come back and you didn't have to, you chose to come back, you'd, you'd put that challenge in front of yourself. I think that's a huge and to come back successful and even if you hadn't it still showed a lot about your character and your desire that you were still going to really go after it i thought that was amazing
3: that's a, i appreciate that that's so lovely uh, such a lovely thing to say and uh, very nice comment from you obviously because your 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 accolades kind of speak for themselves with an irish squash but i guess that's what it was that was a beautiful um, uh, coming together of um, very long endurance relationship with my coach Liz Irving in Astra in, in sorry in Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, uh, a new forming of a coaching player relationship with Hadrian Stiff in Bristol and a sports psychologist who kind of brought them together. So um, it was the trifecta of that that led me to that victory. And for whatever reason, prior to that in my career, some of that wasn't unlocked and whether it was because I over stuff and and I think people do that, whether they um, you, you sometimes are a little bit hard on yourself and um it, that would never have happened if only one of those things happened. Cause I had sports psychology uh, sessions for years before that. Uh, I had Liz for years before that. I kind of had started with Adrian. If if those hadn't come together and, and just given the presence of mind and that kind of beautiful sense of flow that we all talk about, that we don't experience that much, um, that victory wouldn't have happened. And once that victory did happen, I couldn't give a flying you know what, about the, the finals that I lost. Because to me, it, it, it just had that sense of, it proved something. So it, it, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a good moment, really good moment.
1: It must have been an amazing feeling. Something definitely to be proud of. As a coach, have you ever been able to relate that to some of your students?
3: That, I think that's what we're all striving for as coaches. So our, my unique take and your unique take on the game um, will will be different, and we want to translate that to our players and What I try and do is just take the psychology part of it and give that a lot of attention um, because we 're all doing the the fitness and the endurance, and that we 've all got the lessons and we 've but it 's really hard for someone who hasn 't played squash and at a certain, um, not even at a certain level, just, just that you haven't actually been in the court, felt that you're 10-4 up and lost 10, that six game balls. It's yeah. very hard to articulate that. And I think for me as a coach, it's very important to let a player know that you know that feeling and there is a way out of it and there are tools that you can do to get out of it but and it 's okay to feel panicked and scared and fear and it's okay to feel euphoric when you 've beaten your best friend or something, and you have those juxtapositional feelings but um that 's kind of what I try and get through to the kids is that all of these all of these feelings are completely normal, and if you're going to try and squash them down to pardon the pun. Uh, that won't be that beneficial for your overall uh, squash and you as a person because yeah. um, th- there's something so unique about squash is that it it has an ability to shed all the scales and who we really are um, is seen in a squash court like warts and all and you know I like there's been many a racket thrown in my life and many a word a gentle word to the, to? <laughs> exactly in the ref's ear so that like that's okay yeah don't act like an absolute idiot but it's okay to have these feelings how are we going to fix it? how are we going to work on this to get you to unlock your potential so that's yeah. what i everyone has a different path everyone has a different journey and I'm with how you arrive at your squash kind of goal but that's what i would like to instill in kids
1: yeah it's tough but you're spot on expressing yourself in a way that is conducive to you being the best version of yourself and developing strategies to do so. I did. I liked what you said about not suppressing your emotions or your feelings and then finding the right balance to stay on the edge so you can perform at your best on the given day and to develop strategies when you've tipped over the edge, like when you're throwing a racket or whatever, uh, tipped over, just, just to rein it back in. And then on the flip side, if you're passive and a ways away from the edge, to give yourself that boost to get back up there to that level. I'd love to hear your take, but I know from my own experience, I always found that tough. And that was largely down to, you know, sometimes the financial consequences that if I lost a match, that would have implications on, you know, the rent and the food and, and that magnified it all. And obviously at the time it wasn't great. But I do find that later in life, the tools developed experience in this range of pressure and emotion uh, was worthwhile to help me understand different levels of stress, pressures and understanding emotions to help communicate with the students
3: yeah i think so and you know I, th- I bet you you feel the same i when i started coaching first and i'm about four years in at this point i was thinking my goodness i would have been so much better <laughs> if i had listened to myself because i am coming up with some mega you know like god these god these gems are good if only i had listened to me when i was younger but i think um it it totally depends on your personality when we we speak about Reneem in, in her she's relaxed sometimes she's too relaxed uh we might be a little bit similar in that we would be very like we wanted to do x like really well and sometimes not myself and Reneem I think myself and you were talking about sometimes you need to actually just have a little bit of your personality on court yeah. to in order to for you to be the best squash player that you can be you you can't uh, i'm not um laura massaro right i if I've, I've and she does all of this training so dedicated and disciplined and blah 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 and this um that 's not me the night the weekend before the nationals I went to a party and came back at two in the morning so that's not brilliant <laughs> um um that is not brilliant preparation for an event, but it's clearly something inside me that needed to come out a little bit. So again, with kids, I would like to help them just not, um, just not dilute themselves so much because they want to be this perfect squash player. Yeah. They're still, what they bring to the table is very, very important. And that's mental stuff. It's resilience. It's like physical stuff or whatever it might be. We're, we're all unique in that sense, I think.
1: Yeah, the coaching is very tailored, tailor-made tailor to each individual. You can't just have some formula on you go, guys. That this is what yeah. you're going to do. And play a numbers game, I suppose if you throw 100 in, you'll get 10 coming out. But yeah, you can do better. You can get 100 out. Yeah. <laughs> um, touching on the Nationals goes into your career playing for Ireland, which was pretty amazing. I mean, you were part of a team, an integral part of, it, of, the, of a team that was hugely successful for a very long period of time. It wasn't just you made the final once and nobody heard nor seen the team do well again it was consistent for at least 10 12 years it certainly was for 10 years give or take that I was there with alongside your Irish team did you ever feel that one of those events might have just snuck away from you
3: yeah I think the big one is when we came second we but so when I started playing for Ireland um I think it was about 16 or something when I, as a senior and we were 14th, 13th in the, in Europe. So we were kind of showing up and playing and then we'd go home and that would be that. Definitely not contenders. And fast forward, Madeline decides to play professional and she's obviously gets to number three in the world. So she was an amazing, um, like anchor for our team because she, you throw her in she'd win her match she'd get the job done she had amazing mental capacity to not lose to players lower ranked from her um she had a number two in me and I did enjoy a loss to a lower player uh from time to time but then we had a number three who played on the tour for a little bit Laura Moilat, but not that you know played maybe one year on the tour but she was so solid at number three that we had this death so that was kind of there was maybe a number four that would change up up and down, but that was the the kind of substance of our team. And the team dynamic was not showy and rah, 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 and like painting our our faces with, um, you know, green, white, and gold or whatever else. We were kind of understated. But I think that dynamic really helped us because we kind of just plodded along and got to seventh, got to sixth, got to... And then we were consistently making semifinals with, from a tiny country, number one, with two professionals. And we're up against France and Netherlands and England, of course, um, with far more professionals than we have on, on, on the, in the roster. So um, th- there might be some of the doggedness of the Irish mentality... That that kind of got us there. I think that's part of it, but we never made it a bigger deal than it was. It was we never really went in. Um, without with with just going look one match at a time. Don't under underestimate this this country. Let's go for let's go for the you know the the big one if we can. Of course, we made the semi sorry the finals in in Amsterdam. Um, the in. I guess about 10 years 7 years now and that was the pinnacle of it when we lost to England in the final that was probably the one that slipped away I somehow managed to get a win and then Madeline was playing Laura Massaro and Laura was at the top I think of her game and she had a really good season that year so she, it was a tough one for Madeline yeah but that's yeah that was the pinnacle of it
1: that is true actually you guys were pretty it's like yeah yeah, yeah we're just playing the final no big deal
3: yeah um, we yeah, finished 30S great. <laughs> it's funny like you say we have um, a lot of it was down to you guys too you like having the support you'd come and watch our matches and we never experienced that prior to kind of you on the team um we we didn't have a female male like the english always had the females and the males and were, you know they were cheering each other on we never we never had that and it changed and i honestly think that changed the kind of pep in our step for a fee. I don't know what it was like for the male version of the team, but it gave us a little, um, just a little confidence, I suppose, a little pep in our step.
1: Yeah, I remember, I remember my first Euros and I was surprised we weren't watching each other play. I mean, what else were we going to do? A bit of to- total football on the PlayStation was grand for an hour or so. But I do remember the year after and we seemed to just start watching each other play more. And it definitely boosted me or, or us and it was always nice to have support and even better when we were all representing our country and wearing the same jersey. And I mean, I, you, we all spent so much time on the road on our own. So to have a support system from the same country, wanting and being invested for the same result just felt amazing. And whether we won or lost, it always felt great to play for Ireland because you were playing for something bigger than you. And in many ways, it, w- it was a lot more meaningful.
3: And you can see that with, our, with US colleges, um, Kids in the U.S. colleges, they take for granted that team spirit aspect of it. Uh, And then when they go on the tour, it must be quite lonely, actually, for them because they're so used to having nine and nine. And uh, it's, you know, the strength in numbers, That kind of, um, that's the Warriors um, slogan out here. (laughs) But I think think that there's some truth to that, that uh, it just, you know, the mass effect just gives you that extra X factor.
1: Yeah. So women's squash currently is quite phenomenal really. We had a discussion not that long ago and we were just talking about eras and Stuart came up with this like ridiculous stat where in 2005 2006 in the top 11 players 10 of them made world one number one at some point and you had this like oh, wow. overlap of different generations and eras and the only person that didn't make number one was Ricketts but his career was cut short. Right. Anyways, that got us on to what I thought was uh, 2017 could maybe in 10 years' time have a similar feel to it where you had, you know, Laura and Nicole and Raneem and Beanie and, and it was all these different players. Now that you're still involved in the sport in a very professional way through a different lens, yeah. how, how have you seen the growth of the, of the women's game? How have you seen the professionalism change? How have you seen... Because you know, there has to be some reason yeah. to how the strength and depth has become so strong and the level has become so high. I know there's natural evolution, but this is like, yeah, uh, uh,
3: there's a, there's a few big ones. I mean, the most obvious, the most obvious reason is the, the lowering of the 10, 17 inch 10, most obvious reason there that there's a big, um, noticeable shift after that 17 inch 10 came in. Yeah. Um, 2000, oh, sorry. Yeah. To December, 2016, the first time in 20 years, was when egypt had three players in the top ten, so that 's another one the rise of egypt and we, uh omar al al, al-, al- what there we go um lovely man um what a guy he 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 had a nice little uh, presentation at the world coaching forum on the rise of squash in egypt, why it happened you know the, the multitude of players rising to the top um then some of them leaving as they get older. There's a lot on the bottom, then the pyramid gets like this. By the time they get to the top, they're so good that they can play professionally. So that's that's a, another kind of segment as to why it's improved. Um, the I mean, I, I, we could talk about the tin all day long, but I think that's self-explanatory. And the, if you're looking for sli- for other reasons, I think part of it is the entourage factor. So previously you would have had uh, everyone on their own and Nicole had an entourage. Nicole had a physio a coach, uh, a mental um, uh, psych- psychologist with her at some events. Very, very few players had that. Very few. Maybe England had a bit of it. Um, that shifted. Laura Massaro saw that was working. She got on board. Danny, funnily enough, happened to be her husband and a coach and also a doctorate and psychologist. So that's handy. The, you know the three in one uh, like head and shoulders it's very handy if your husband can be all of those things although I'm sure it brings its own challenges but with that other people started forming teams around them and whatever for whatever reason we might have felt we couldn't afford it or whatever but even even players like me in the in the in the 20s made sure that they got, like, a proper strength and conditioning coach and a and a nutritionist. And, a, like, all of that stuff happened. And if we could bring the to tournaments, we would. So I think the professionalism in that has definitely has changed. Like, Camille's now got a staff of about 10 around her. I think she brings her hairdresser. Like, there's a lot of... There's a lot of support, mental and physical, and it's really important for players to have that. And I think we're just seeing it now more than ever. Um, and it's leading to a player coming to an event, feeling extremely prepared, really ready and and and, and at ease because they've got this lovely support blanket around them. Um, and I guess, you know, I, beyond that, I think it's the, the physicality has gotten much better. Um, you will look, uh, let's have a look at a player like uh, Nayla Gillis. Um she has decided that fitness is going to be. She's getting better technically, but she was languishing in the twenties, and now she's up or whatever, uh, something fifteen, some fifteen, sixteen in the world. The um, physicality is like that's hands down. That's why that's why she's just gotten very, very strong and fit. So we have multitude of reasons, I guess.
1: Now that you're a few years into retirement, do you ever sit back and reflect on your career? And see certain moments, certain epiphanies or eureka moments that helped elevate your game.
3: Yeah, I think I think. Well, do you know what Derek Ryan, who we both know and love, one of our, our compatriots, he um, he was number seven in the world. And I he had a chat to me years and years ago, and he said, "You know that you nothing will change unless you believe it. Like, n- nothing. You you have to believe that you can beat X, Y, and Z or." get to whatever whatever if you're going through the motions and you're training and you're doing this but if that belief isn't there you're going to struggle um and uh, i think one of the the epiphanies or the aha moments was when that i did believe it because i did not understand how you could tell yourself something and you could i could go in and play nicole i could be like oh i can win this and i'm like well i'm realistic she's number one in the world i'm number 21 i think you know she'd have to at the time she'd have to have a very bad day so i think one of the epiphanies was um uh, just a moment where i actually did start to believe i did start to believe in myself as a player and that kind of opened floodgates because that uh, so it's not a particular match or anything, yeah. it's just uh, the, the the importance of having belief in yourself and yeah. how that can be pervasive and, and help you.
1: yeah, I suppose if you don't back yourself, it doesn't matter what anyone else tells you
3: it's not yeah really. yeah 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 you have to
1: so so actually you're kind of in a unique position as a squash bear as you have a degree, but yet you find yourself still in the game as a coach <laughs> in San Francisco.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, for punishment is my word
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that. but uh was there like did you always see yourself in the last couple of years getting into coaching or what did you think or did it just kind of happen organically
3: it did happen organically i didn't i I struggled against it for years because i thought you know i'm going to go off and then by the time i finished um Playing, I'd say my degree was obsolete. Like it was back in the Stone Ages. So uh, I think I would have had to do something else. But um the organic, it's a it's a very easy transition, as you know yourself. And also because when you start and you remember the pitfalls and the, oh, if I only known this, I would have done that. You're already giving people a shortcut. And that, unfortunately, is a bit of an ego boost. It gives you a really good feeling. Because yeah. if you're helping someone, so it's obviously helping them, but it's also helping us because we wouldn't you know we have egos we're in the sport that we were for so long for a reason um so it, it was somewhat it was somewhat organic just to come out here and uh, start um coaching and then uh you know one thing led to another and and here I am uh, four years later and there's some players who are you know top in the country there are some players who um hit a back end and they hit it into the ceiling so i'm kind of you know that that the, the most eye-opening thing for me is actually it's really cool working with the player who hits the ball into the ceiling because if they can hit it onto the front wall at some point that's down to you that's pretty cool
1: that is pretty cool yes yeah, big impact yeah. and it makes yeah. them smile like just like it's a huge impacting change and improvement that you can see and that gives a buzz
3: and it's less balls to get down from the ceiling so it's a win-win.
1: <laughs> the latter man will be raging when he goes up to the lights and doesn't see his yeah. money anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, look, just do a very quick fire just to fin- just to wrap it up. Ooh. Ooh.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, Favourite venue that you've ever played in?
3: Oh, Monte Carlo.
1: Oh. Favourite venue that you've commentated on?
3: Ooh. Oh, uh, TOC uh, Grand Central.
1: Fair dues. Most memorable win?
3: Um, British Open under 16 semi-finals oh. quarter-finals, quarterfinals.
1: What Who, who'd you play?
3: played a man El Amir and uh, my mum was my coach and her advice was that she liked my outfit and that seemed to, 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 to kind of push me over the edge to win you the match good, my mum didn't have the best grasp of squash let's be honest oh,
1: it, it worked that day
3: <laughs> yeah, it did, yeah. yeah coffee or tea? Coffee these days,
1: Americano or flat white?
3: Americano, dash. Ooh. I have now,
1: fair enough. Favorite place to visit,
3: Sligo? home.
1: that's uh, a great place, Sligo. yeah. Can't argue with that. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, nice one. Um, Ashley, thanks again for taking out the time to come on and to talk to us. Uh, super appreciate having you're busy, goes without saying, mad times wish you all the health and happiness going forward and yeah
3: you too and keep keep fighting the good fight this is a brilliant uh, very entertaining podcast that you're doing you guys are doing an awesome job so um keep it coming want more episodes we
0: done
1: awesome stuff there thanks again to Ashing blake for coming on the show and for speaking with us thanks Stuart. thank you chris another episode in the bag uh, if you like what you hear again Don't be shy, share with your friends uh, and you can follow us and see us on social media via Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again everyone for listening. Cheers, have a good one.